Hello, language hackers. Welcome to a slightly different episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. I'm Elizabeth, language coach and the Fluent in Three Months VP of the Glitter Bomb Department. And this week, I'm interviewing Benny about a very specific challenge he recently undertook. In December of 2019, Benny set out to climb Mount Kilimanjaro and no surprise, it was not easy. In this episode, we talk about the perhaps unexpected parallels between this huge physical challenge and the challenges we all face when learning a language. Some of the things we discuss are why Benny needed a win and why he chose this particular challenge. We delve into how to be okay with imperfection, mistakes, and the possibility of failure. Benny describes his own compare and despair impulse and how he overcame it during the climb. I learned about the power of the pole pole mantra and why a supportive community is your key to success. We hope you're enjoying this podcast. Please let us know by leaving a review and telling us what's working for you at languagehacking.com forward slash review. We love hearing from you and we read every single review. Now for the interview with Benny. The links and resources mentioned in this episode can be found at languagehacking.com forward slash 41. Welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast from Fluent in Three Months. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast. Today, I am co-hosting with Benny Lewis, my favorite polyglot. Welcome, Benny, to your own show. Yeah, it's great to be the, the guest and uh, to... <laughs> To feel what it's like from the other side. <laughs> exactly. Well, today we're going to talk about something. You, Shannon, and I had a very brief conversation about your um, mountain climbing journey. You actually climbed a mountain. And in it, it was maybe a five-minute conversation. And you mentioned a few things that just set off alarm bells for me. Number one was you talked about potentially giving up. Like there was a real chance that you were going to give up in the middle of the trip. And then also you dealt a lot with or struggled a lot with compare and despair. And I thought, you know, it'd be great if we could have an episode where we could crack open the brain of a polyglot, um, dissect what happened to you during that trip, how you accomplished the goal, and then translate it for our listeners that are learning a language. Because climbing a mountain and learning a language are very, very similar in many ways. Yeah, that definitely sounds like a plan. And I think it's important to point out it wasn't just any old mountain. It was uh, the mountain, the roof of Africa, which um, was in itself even more of a challenge. So one of my uh, most difficult physical endeavors I've taken on in my entire life. So definitely a huge challenge, a huge um, amount of obstacles I had to overcome to get to that point. So I think uh, there's a lot of parallels with taking on any challenging project, um, like learning a language for sure. So tell me about this mountain. Um, how big is it? Where exactly is it? And what's it called? And also, why did you decide to do this, this, um, this journey? So Mount Kilimanjaro is known as the roof of Africa. It is, and I'm looking at my own photo from the top here to make sure I get the numbers right. 5,895 meters tall or 19,341 feet tall, so almost 20,000 feet. And uh, it is, um, if you exclude the mount mountain range at Everest, then this is the next tallest peak in the entire world. Wow. So it is not, not similar to Everest in terms of difficulty, because Everest has uh, a very high death rate. And 
this is more manageable. And I would say if anyone is in pretty decent physical shape, it is definitely doable if you take one of the easier paths, which I did take. Unfortunately, I was not in good shape. So that added extra challenges to the whole thing. But it was my first time ever in sub-Saharan Africa. And I have no experience uh, really uh, mounting and hiking. I, I had done one mountain about like 15, 16 years ago, uh, Mount Dede in Spain, uh, which is dramatically shorter than um, Kilimanjaro. So it was a, a completely different experience for me in many, many different ways. And it was also something that I really needed at that point because I, uh, the year before had been literally the worst year of my life, the most stressful year. It ended with me getting divorced and I had a lot of financial problems I had to work through and clinical depression, among other things. So it was the tail end of the most difficult period of my life. And I kind of needed a win. And this, uh, there's not a lot of things left on my travel bucket list, but this was there for an extremely long time. And I thought it's, it's time to take on this challenge. Yeah. Some people think like having a win when they're down is maybe finishing that novel, like reading a novel or, or, um, starting a, a, an exercise routine. You decide I'm going to climb a mountain. Um, so you, you decided you're going to climb the mountain. Why did you decide you were going to, like, I know that you needed a win, but how did this come about? Like, it's a mountain that I need to do. Uh, well, my sister had climbed Kilimanjaro a long time ago and I'd always heard about it. And it seemed like, uh, just, you know, it's one of those bucket list things to, to want to do. Like you either want to climb Mount Everest or you might want to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. Like these, these are the two most famous ones in the world, essentially. And, uh, so there was that sense of just achievement, but also, um, a completely new experience. And I, I had kind of, um, because of the difficult years I'd been through, I hadn't had a lot of varied experiences. I hadn't really traveled as much as I would have liked. And I had backed away from learning languages, which fortunately I'm getting my momentum back with now. Um, so, it's, it wasn't even that I needed to get to the top. And I actually, when I, when I started the trip, I very much had in mind that there, there are certain levels of success within this project, the same way with any project. And one, one philosophy I have in my whole life is failure is always an option. And I've taken on language learning projects that I have not achieved my end goal. And I've taken on ones that I have. And I think, uh, when you think of successful people, you imagine, um, an unbroken chain of continuous success. But for me, realistically, it's more an oscillation between success and failure. And if you want true success, failure has to be an option. So I also had in mind, um, things that I would have definitely considered a win, such as making it to base camp. So base camp isn't the peak but it would still have been the majority of the actual time of trekking. And I would have been satisfied with that or even like taking it on for a few days and seeing maybe it is too much for me, but just knowing that I had gone there and given it my best, that would have, uh, I would have been satisfied to a certain degree. And on top of that, I made the trip worth it in other ways. I did things that were not physically exerting. Like I went on a lovely safari 
And um, a friend of mine actually runs the safari and the hike. I, I love the name of his company. Uh, it's Pamoja, which is Swahili for together. So um, uh, if anyone wants to do the same trek I did, I definitely recommend you check out uh, Pamoja Safaris. I'll have the links in the, in the show notes, of course. But yeah, that, that's kind of like, it's not an either or. And especially for something like this, I actually literally have a friend who died trying to do Kilimanjaro. A fr- like somebody I genuinely know. Uh, he would have done one of the more difficult treks. There's, there's different paths that you can get up a little bit faster. And unfortunately, it did not work out and um, his life ended there. So this is not the kind of situation where I want to go in thinking it's get to the top or bust because that's that's essentially a suicide mission. So there has to be a spectrum uh, with anything. And if you're learning a language, the spectrum is, of course, you know, maybe mastering the language is, you know, you may want to do that someday. But it's still a very important achievement to get to basic conversational level. And I've applied this in all aspects of my life and business and everything else that there are a lot of degrees of success. And if you don't give it your all and if you don't aim for the stars, then you're never going to have these major successes, but you will have failures in between them. And that has to be okay. You see, I knew there'd be treasures here. I knew it. And this is not what I was expecting. So uh, two things that I'm hearing here. Number one is you decided to flip the switch in your brain. So you had clinical depression. I'm assuming you were getting treated outside of yes. this, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And I want to say that for folks that think that just, you know, going and climbing a mountain when you're, when you need help, please get help first and then decide to do these wonderful things. However, you could have stayed home, continued treatment and had the same things going on over and over and over again. We call those neuropathways. They're like, they're like railroad tracks in our brain that do the same thing. I don't know if you have a grumpy, um, you know, a grumpy relative. Everybody's got one that, you know, when I was a kid and back in, I used to, and it's the same story. It's a neuropathway that they've created. So you had a neuropathway of the worst year of your life. And you had many reasons to believe that neuropathway. And it's not that I'm not taking away that it was the worst year of your life, but you could have continued thinking those thoughts, living in that um, muck and mire. And instead you flip the switch by creating a goal. And This could apply to a language learner right now that's listening that feels like they haven't really accomplished anything. They're having it. Many of us are having a terrible time right now. How can they flip the switch without traveling, which is not possible for many? Well, they could learn a language. And how do you do that? You do that in levels and stages. So when I first um, learned about Fluent in Three Months, you are the reason, and I say this often, but I'll say it here. You are the reason I speak French now and had tried for four, you know, for 40 years, I've tried to learn languages and, um, I didn't get it until I found your podcast, started taking the challenges, started following everything on it. However, I knew that the level that you were going for, which was conversational fluency in three months was not the level that was going to work for me. And when you talk about life or death, you know, I don't want to be dramatic, but I'm going to sound a little dramatic here. What I see in the language learning community on Instagram, on social media, for example, is I see a lot of very young, ambitious folks 
that are staying up till 3 a.m. studying their flashcards and suffering anxiety and um, causing themselves a lot of emotional turmoil because they've got a language exam coming up. That's not it's not a language exam with people with guns to their head. It's not a language exam that's going to get them into university. It's a language exam that equals their self-worth. And I think we have to be really careful with that. So your idea of levels, this idea of I'm a success if I get to base camp, is that I believe my my level of self-worth does not equal whether I hit the top of that mountain. How do you feel when I say these things? Does that resonate with you? Yeah, absolutely. And I I definitely understand where you're coming from, that a lot of people um, feel this pressure to reach their goals. And especially when it's shared on social media, which is very easy to to give a, an extraordinarily filtered view such that everybody you see in your feed is success after, after success and everyone except you is an, an achieved polyglot. And I certainly feel that myself, like coming from these difficult years, I would turn on, like uh, go onto my YouTube subscriptions and I would see all these accomplished polyglots and I feel, you know, I'm nothing like these guys. And it's, it's a natural human, it's human nature to react that way. And we tend to have this filtered view of how things work. And I do want to like talk, if I'm talking about something like climbing this mountain, that it can feel like, um, I did eventually make it to that peak. And that sounds great, but there's also, there was a, a lot of disappointments along the way that, and those are important. Like it's, it sounds impressive when you just give it as a summary. But there were a lot, a lot of very humbling moments. And this is a natural part of achieving anything great that you have to be open to feeling like an idiot. You have to be open to feeling like a failure and that you're not going, it's not going to go as smoothly as you wish it would have gone. And if you can work through that, and, and I think like I don't have a lot of natural, um, like, talents and such in life. But there is one thing I think I do have that um, gives me an edge over a lot of people is I'm okay with imperfection. I'm okay with a life filled with mistakes and chaos. I do not accept that I I need everything to go perfectly. And if not, then uh, I'm going to get anxiety. And I think that has been something that's gotten me through a lot of things is that when failure happens, when I reach a roadblock, then I immediately think this is a part of the story. This is just the way it is. And for a lot of other people, maybe they'll reach that roadblock and they would see it more as proof that the universe is telling them they can't do this thing. And like I've said many times before with something like language learning, I had years and years and years of proof that I should never, ever try to learn a language. I failed it in school. I tried to sign up for Spanish lessons in university and through sheer bad luck, I kept re- getting rejected from those evening classes for really stupid reasons. And I moved to Spain and for six months in Spain, I did not pick up Spanish. So for a lot of people, this, the way they go through their life is they will see all of these as signs from whatever way you want to interpret your experience, you'll see this as confirmation. You should not do this. And that's not quite the way that I've looked at things. And it's, it really helped me. Uh, and it, it truly is a change in perspective that allows you to achieve bigger things in life. 
as a recovering perfectionist, I, I agree with much of what you said was, have you always been okay with imperfection or did you suddenly, was there an aha moment when you were okay with imperfection or were you raised to say it's okay to make mistakes? Um, well, something that I've mentioned in previous podcasts is I have ADHD and this tends to mean that you have a tendency to want to do things right now. You like, I am definitely impatient. And what this means is I see something and I, I like when I had the idea to start the blog, I think if I compare that to other people, other people may think I want to start a blog. So they research, you know, what's the best WordPress setup to do and how can I um, research SEO? Like I didn't do any search engine optimization for the first five years of the blog because I, I just didn't get around to it. And I didn't wait until I knew all these things. I just decided one afternoon, oh, I should start a blog. How do I register for a website? Okay, that's how. And then two hours later, fluentinthreemonths.com was up and I threw my first blog post, which was a hideous post with like a block of text. And I just had to get feedback from people. Like you should really use the the enter key on your keyboard because, you know, and, and that's how I learned. I learned by doing. And I like so many things that I feel ultimately gave me success are because I've always had this idea that done is better than perfect, you know, and to be fair, that that has kind of like wavered and come in and out. And obviously dealing with depression over these last years has seriously impacted that. And things that previously would have felt like very small obstacles felt like giant walls that I would never get around. So I'm by no means um, immune to these things. But as a general life philosophy, I do just intuitively know. And ADHD has kind of just given me that boost to rather than wait until things are ready. I just didn't have the patience to wait. So I would just be like, no, 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 let's just do it now and fix it while it's out there. And, And that has definitely worked for my benefit in many different aspects. So there's part of it is that's definitely a natural part of me. Um, but I, I definitely think a lot of parts of my success would have come down to just doing the thing rather than overthinking. Yeah. And I think you can, you, you can create that mistakes are okay muscle. You can, you can form it. You can shape it. If, even if you don't have it, because I, I was able to form it and now don't care if I speak with an accent. I think my foreign accent is really cute when I speak French. So let's go back to, um, let's go back to your mountain climbing. You said that there were moments when there were some serious difficult moments. And the ones I want to talk about first are compare and despair. Can you name an incident where you felt compare and despair and what happened for you, for it not to overcome you? So I was not doing this by myself. Uh, Scott, who runs uh, Pomoja Safaris, is a good friend of mine. And he got a, a group of people that he knew for us to all go together. So there was maybe about a dozen of us who had gone to uh, Tanzania to do the safari and the, uh, to hike Kilimanjaro. And in my imagination of uh, how the hike would go, I pictured myself just hiking along with this group the entire time. And then us all reaching the top together and having a, a lovely group photo and uh, being able to you know, talk about how each day's hike went together. This is the vision I had and it didn't turn out anything like that because unfortunately I was by far the least uh, in shape out of the entire group. I had put on a lot of weight because of 
the difficult years I went through. And the very first day, my, uh, my idea of doing it this way I just described was completely thrown out of the water because I, after just hiking for one hour in me trying to keep up with them, I was completely exhausted and they were just doing a brisk walk. They weren't running, but I was, um, I, I had tried to do some form of training for this hike and just in coming off uh, anti-depression medicine, it just had kind of sapped a lot of my motivation throughout the year. So anytime I would try to, um, to train, I wouldn't really succeed in doing that. So unfortunately, I was not physically prepared for doing it the way most people would have done. So that was definitely my first compare was just looking at everybody else who these weren't professional mountaineers. These were just people in regular shape and uh, people in similar lifestyles to me, like uh, similar age groups and, uh, you know, they're online entrepreneurs and bloggers and such. And unfortunately, I, I was way behind everybody. So that very, very first day I had to immediately accept. I am not going to be able to keep up the same pace as these guys. So if, if I want this to work, I need to accept I am going to be the last one. I am going to be the worst person in this group from a physical perspective. And that needs to be okay. Like there's a certain sense of like, you know, I'm the loser of the group. And, and I just had to embrace that idea that this is my identity. I am the, I am the guy who will arrive at the the camp at the end of the day, hours after other people. And I won't be joining them for the majorities of the treks. I will get to socialize with them in the evenings and uh, at breakfast before we we leave for the day. But I cannot join them the entire time. And it was very humbling because I uh, it's a, a very obvious immediate reminder that I am not in great physical shape, but I, I had to find ways to make it work. So for instance, I I had um, uh, a chest heart rate monitor and I wore that the entire time. So I can literally, from it having registered, I could tell you what my heart rate was at every given altitude for the entire eight days that I was hiking. And I looked at that and whenever my heart rate went above a certain number, I would just have to stop. So even though I was trying to hike slowly, my body was telling me you're going too fast. And I just I had to maintain something that was working and that was very humbling. And I've had that kind of experience in other aspects of life. Like whenever you take on a challenge in the ways that I do, where I have a, a ship it mentality, I start to very quickly become aware of my own limitations and that maybe this is not going to go as smoothly as I initially imagined it would. And I need to be able to adapt to that, adjust to that and be okay with that. How many times did you stop because of the heart monitor per day? Every, every three or four minutes. No. Yeah, it was incredibly infuriating. <laughs> and because like it just it was a constant reminder of the weight that I had put on over recent years. Mm-hmm. And uh, because it's it, it was kind of like, a, you know, obviously I wouldn't need to stop if I was walking very slowly. Um, but I would feel self-conscious that, you know, I, I'm putting like step, step, step. And I. I really wanted to have some form of like, you know, catching up with them maybe a half an hour after they reached the, the camp to have some, some time to hang out with them for the evening. And, uh, sometimes I did do that and I would have had to have stopped 
every every few minutes and just let my heart rate go down a bit and just constantly looking at my wrist the whole time because that's where my watch told me what my rate was and very fortunately the the group that did the hiking with us like obviously I can't be completely by myself um we have a, a great group of uh, local Tanzanians who are taking care of us and they're setting up the camps as we arrive in in each uh, stop and there were several different guides and one of the guides just decided on that first day that he was going to stay behind and make sure he was aware of where I was the whole time. Do you know, I see people, sometimes it's our coaches in the, in the fluent instruments challenge. And sometimes it's repeat challengers that will send me a DM and say a direct message and say, um, so-and-so is having a hard time. They're new. I'm going to watch them. I'm going to be with them. So there are people in the language learning community that do the same thing. And it always just fills my heart when I see someone going, this is going to be my buddy for the next three months. So what I'm seeing here is I would equate this to jumping into a group of language learners, going to a meetup where everyone's speaking Spanish or German or whatever your target language is, and everyone there speaks fluently. And you know five words, which was my first meetup. <laughs> so um, there's you have to make that decision that, okay, I'm definitely not going to be the cool one today. And now, and now what? I had a very wise woman tell me many times, so what, now what? Okay, I'm going to be the slowest, so what? That's that's what it is. It stinks. I would love to be the most charming in my target language. Now what? Now what is I'm going to speak to five people and say the same five words that I know to them, and then I'm going to move on when I run out of words. Um, this also relates to when people come into challenges or when people go onto a social media hashtag for language learning community. And let's say... You, the listener that's listening now, we're so glad you're still here. What if you realize, oh, I have a learning disability. Oh, I'm a visual learner. And now I've got to learn with an auditor, auditory method or oh, my, my, because of my age, my memory is not quite as quick as the whippersnappers, the young whippersnappers, or this is my first language that I'm learning. And everyone in the room has already learned three other languages, which trust me, folks, it gets easier which, you know, we say that and you, but consciously you don't know it until you actually have gone into your third or second target language. So what I'm hearing here is day one, Benny, oh, my heart goes out to you. Day one, you're like, okay, it's not exactly going to be the kumbaya, everybody playing guitar and talking, you know, at the end of the night, I'm just going to have to try to get through this. Once you made that decision, did you feel like you were able to were you able to battle the shame demons when you did get to camp? Was there a camaraderie? How did people start reacting to the sea biscuit that decided he's going to keep going and get at the camp every night? So that that's an interesting thing when we try to compare ourselves to others is in our minds, we imagine this worst case scenario. And I initially, even though I, I knew this is a, a group of good people, I initially did have those worries that, once they all get to camp, they're all kind of saying, ah, ha, 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 that fat, lazy Benny, ah, ha, ha. And obviously that wasn't happening. But in your head, you imagine the worst and you imagine that, you know, they might be thinking, why is this guy even here? But what happened is they were so incredibly encouraging. And I would get a, my own personal round of applause for reaching a camp or that like when I ran into them as they were coming back from the peak. One of them nearly teared up just seeing that I actually made it as far as he had. 
And there were a couple of people at camp who told me at one stage that they found it inspirational, just the fact that I was pushing through and that they had other minor problems, like you, you, you might suffer from altitude sickness if you don't take the medicine the right way. And one of the camp people was, was one of the people who was uh, on the trek with us kind of mentioned to me, you know, I was feeling a little under the weather and I was wondering, should I keep doing this? But then I thought of Benny and all of the struggles that he's going through that completely uh, make mine seem laughable. And that, that made me want to go further. And it was, it was truly inspirational. And of course, my guide who was alongside me the whole time, I'd be thinking, this guy must be thinking I'm an, I'm a complete waste of space because he hikes this mountain all the time. And to him, this is like the easiest walk. And, and yet here's me having to take a break after three minutes. And of course, he was very, very encouraging. And he would always, uh, if, if he saw that I was feeling like I, I wanted to push myself beyond my limits, he would remind me, pole pole. And that's Swahili for slowly, slowly. And they, they have a few expressions like that, that like I wasn't there to learn Swahili, but we all picked up these, uh, a couple of words just to, to kind of laugh along with them. And pole pole was my motto for that entire experience. I think pole pole is my motto for all of my language learning because <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm big on the, on turtle power. Um, this brings up this idea. First of all, I teared up hearing that the guy teared up. Cause I'm just a sucker for, for sappy, beautiful, beautiful moments of human spirit. And that's what it is, right? Because we all have that five year old in us that just doesn't think it's going to make it. Even the guy that was going up and having no problems, there are, you know, blisters on the feet. I'm, I'm sure when I think about if there was someone lagging behind and I was at the camp, I'd be rubbing my feet that night and so happy that you made it. Even though I'm in pain, you, you know, you're, look at what you're doing. And I see it in, the challenge. I know I talk a lot about the challenge and I, I have to because that's my experience as a language learner now. It took me a long time to find a community of language learners because all of my friends say, oh, I've always wanted to learn a language, just like I'm sure a lot of your friends now have said, oh, I've always wanted to climb a mountain, but they're just not there yet. And so you have to find people that are actually climbing the mountain to understand. And uh, the reason I do serial challenges after challenge after challenge is because of that. When someone opens up and is vulnerable in the challenge and says, I'm, you know, I just don't think I can do this because of X, Y, Z. And then I see this flood of people going, but you inspire me, but you moving in this, we're going to do this together. It, it, it breaks my heart open in a great way. And it also gives me inspiration to continue. And people think like, you know, when you already know languages, why would you need inspiration? Because it's hard. It's like climbing. It's not easy. I think even the dude that does it every day for his job, it's a hard job to do. So um, this expression of human spirit is really quite beautiful. And I think overall, uh, our mammalian brains love bonding. We have a thicker prefrontal cortex for that in particular. And so we want to see our group do well. And so it's the same with language, language learning. So now we're talking about the end of it, which congratulations on making it all the way up to the top and for allowing us to peek inside your brain. But I want to talk about, you had mentioned that there was one day or evening in particular where you were ready to give up. Can you tell me what happened? And can you tell me why and how you surpassed that hurdle? Yeah. So the hike itself is about eight days. Um, most of that obviously being up and the last two days coming down. And so we had 
made it to base camp. It had been an extraordinary journey and it was frustrating, but still amazing in so many ways. And I made it to base camp and I decided I, I was, uh, I was going to try and make that final push to get to the actual peak. And unfortunately, the most difficult part is getting to the peak on that final day. That's the steepest part where you're actually genuinely doing a bit of climbing and, um, you have a very, very long way to go. Um, and there are no camps waiting for you. There's nothing at the top. There isn't a, a gift shop you can walk into. And there's, you're literally, you get to the top and you have to turn around and go back to base camp. So um, along the way, uh, when you reach that kind of altitude, this is where the air gets so thin that you have less than half the amount of oxygen in the air compared to its sea level. Wow. So as well as feeling physically exhausted and being completely out of my element, I had to deal with the fact that each breath I was sucking in was a lot less um, oxygen for me. So uh, this got worse and worse as you get higher. And I left before everybody else because I wanted to try to maybe make it to the top the same time that they did. So I left a whole hour before them. Didn't matter. They passed me by like, um, you know, a couple of hours later. So I was still behind them reaching the top. But a little bit into that journey, there was a point where I, rather than taking a break every like three, four, five minutes, I felt like taking a break every couple of steps. I was feeling so this and it wasn't a heart rate thing. It was just pure exhaustion, especially because you have to leave at a, a generally around midnight. I left at 10 p.m. So you hadn't even slept much the, the evening before. And so I was just, I was tired and I had already had all this hiking for me, but I was feeling lightheaded from the lack of oxygen on top of everything else. So I would keep stopping every minute or two. And my guide told me very frankly, he said, unfortunately, this, this kind of pace is not realistic. So if you don't think we, you can do it, it's okay to call it quits here. And, and I had to be okay with that, but I, I pushed through a little bit further and then I started to step outside of myself a little bit and start to think a little bit more like, is there another reason why I'm reaching this setback? Because obviously there are things I can't change. I can't change in the moment how physically fit I am. I can't change how exhausted I am. But I started to think, is there something else maybe I'm not realizing? And, and I've had this issue in other challenges as well, that maybe there's, there is a thing that I need to change. A lot of them are internal, but sometimes there is something that you're, uh, if you just try to look at it from an, another perspective, you would realize this is the problem that may, may save me. And it turned out because it's extremely cold and you're high, like there's, this is the altitude where you're seeing snow, even though you're in Tanzania. Because of that, this is where I had all of my, uh, put my puffy coat and I had a mask on my face and a scarf wrapped around my face to protect myself from the cold. And generally, as we all know, like you wear one mask, it's, it's not, not going to restrict your, your airflow. But I was wearing multiple layers over my face on top of the fact that the air I was sucking through all of these was already less than 50% oxygen. So I was actually just receiving considerably less than already 50%. And I realized what I had to do was take all this stuff off my face. And that was a tough decision because it was really cold and the air is very dry. And I actually, because I made that decision, 
I was coughing for a couple of weeks after that because I had to suck in dry air for the next few hours. Um, but once I pulled that down, it, it made an instant difference. And I, I felt like I, I got a boost of adrenaline and I was back to my previous pace where I only needed to take a break every few minutes. And that changed it completely. And I was able to push through and I, I reached there. There are two different peaks. There's uh, the main peak is the Uhuru peak. And I'm just looking at the name to make sure I get this right. The, the other peak is Stella Point. So Stella Point is when you've gotten past the worst of the hike and you're on the, the actual mountain, uh, mountain peak area. You're not at the, the absolute highest peak, but you're pretty close to it. And when I reached that point, I was feeling like I was completely out of energy. Uh, but then I saw the actual peak and I got a burst of, a, of, of adrenaline to push me forward. And that was what I was able to use to get to the top. Wow. And getting down was the next problem. But that, you know, it is still very important to, to appreciate. I did manage to get there. I passed the group as they were coming down. I didn't get to do that, that goal of being there with them and thus getting a big group shot. But then I had a minor benefit because when they were there, they happened to unfortunately reach it at the same point as other people. So they didn't get a lot of time to get good shots and people kept walking in front of their photo. Whereas when I got there, I had the, the roof of Africa all to myself, which is just ridiculous. And it's because it, it actually ended up being a minor advantage being slow because of that, that I, I got. I got to do this silly 360 camera picture thing that um, I can edit and put up on my YouTube channel at some stage and got great multiple shots of me in front of it. And like, so it's never, it's not, not always so terrible if you're not the absolute first one there. And like you said, sometimes things like with languages that you, you have an accent and it has a certain sense of charm. And I found that as a beginner learner, I'm, I'm a lot more okay with making mistakes than I am maybe as an intermediate level learner. And there are certain advantages to not being the best that you, you have to, you have to take these in to the full, the full picture of how you're interpreting whatever it is you're trying to achieve. Because, uh, comparing yourself to the absolute best is just a fool's errand, but there are a lot of different, different achievements you can, you can take. And I could take that even though I was objectively the worst person in the group hiking that mountain, I still got my major wins. Huge win, huge um, silver lining. And uh, getting down was so difficult that we're actually broadcasting with you still at the top of Stella's Point. Am I correct? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so that ironically, the hardest part of hiking Mount Kilimanjaro, the hardest part was getting back to base camp from the top. It doesn't make sense initially. You would think that uh, going downhill is easier, you know? And uh, so there were multiple things. Firstly, going downhill was actually very tricky because you're taking bigger steps and um, the path is a little bit more perilous because you're, uh, you're going a faster way to get to base camp. But then another thing that I didn't even realize till later, and this, this definitely has implications for other uh, projects and such, one of the reasons I was able to get to that peak the night before was because I didn't see it. I started hiking at 10 p.m. and the goal was to get to, the, to it at sunrise. I didn't get to it at sunrise. I did get to a Stella point around sunrise and then I was able to go on to the actual point. 
but I didn't see, I didn't have any light other than a little uh, headlamp uh, that guided me where I was walking um, for, you know, whatever it was, a good six hours or so. And that was actually, believe it or not, a good thing because when I was coming down the mountain, the entire time I could see base camp. I could see exactly where it was. And even after I was, I would hike for 20 minutes and I would feel these 20 minutes would be the most excruciating 20 minutes. And I would be thinking, I've got to be back there by now. And I would look, look in the distance and it looked about the same size as it did before. And it was so, so intimidating and so, um, discouraging. Whereas I think if, if I had hiked up first thing in the morning from base camp to get to the peak, I would have seen it the whole time and I would have felt like I'm never going to get there. Whereas one of the things, one of the philosophies of pole pole is all you're trying to do is focus on the next step, going one step at a time. And if you have your head looking at that end goal, then like even in my case where, you know, it's physically possible, it's not necessarily like learning a language that maybe three months off or a year off reaching some goal. It was, it was possible within a relatively short period of time. But if I had seen that peak, it would have felt like I was never going to get there. And that is exactly how I felt about base camp. It like these were the longest. I took, took maybe three hours or something to get back to base camp. They were the longest three hours of my life because it was excruciating. I, because of that adrenaline kick I got from Stella point to reach Uhura point, I was crashing. So I had to deal with my final humiliation as it was. And I needed my guy to physically help me to get down the mountain for quite a large amount of the way because I, I, my legs felt like spaghetti. I couldn't move. And I, I actually said to him at one point, can I just lie down right here and go to sleep for a few hours? And he was like, if you do that, you'll die. Basically, you'll, you'll not get back up again. We need to get you back to base camp. And like, I, I had used up every ounce of my motivation and I did need to rely on this other guy who was with me to, uh, like his encouragement was, was, was fantastic. I would, I would ask, are we all, are we there yet? And he would give me, oh yeah, yeah. Just around this next corner. And he, he would like, uh, you know, polish up the truth with a little bit of a white lie in a way that I really needed to hear. I needed to hear it was easier than it actually was. I needed to hear some encouragement. I needed to hear a little bit of you're doing a great job that like, you know, even though I'd already reached the peak, you feel like that's, that's your work over. But, um, yeah, this, this, this for me has a lot of implications in so many things that when people are so focused on the end goal, um, you are going to be blinded by your day to day progress. And that was made blatantly clear for me on that final, uh, that night. That ironically, it was very difficult to get up there on the final night, but that was nothing compared to going down back down to base camp. That seems like um, we have so much to unpack here. That seems very much like the intermediate hell that people go through, which is I've gotten my 15 minute conversation or I can introduce myself. I can understand a little bit. And now I'm exhausted and I'm never going to get to fluency. I'm never going to speak like a philosopher in my target language. And so can I just lay down? And if you lay down in language learning, 
it will die. And I don't mean it like you've got to keep doing an hour a day, but if you just let it go for a week or two and you're not even just touching it five minutes here, five minutes there, it can very easily die. Another thing that you brought up was this idea of not being able to see, but you had a very clear expectation, which was I'm going to get to the top. And um, a, a lot of times with language learners, I think they have a lot of really vague, high expectations which means I'm going to, I'm going to learn a hundred words. But what does that mean? It means I'm going to be able to rattle them off in sentences. And no, 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 no. The first goal should be I'm going to, I'm going to be able to introduce myself with a hundred words. And then you go from there. Or I'll, I'll hear a lot of people that hit a 15 minute conversation and go, Oh my gosh, it was, I sounded awful. I paused all the time. And I'm like, you were completely clear, completely, you know, you had a conversation. And again, no, you don't sound like uh, some well-versed uh, uh, speaker, but it, you were able to articulate your information to the other person. The other person understood you. You had an exchange and it's not supposed to look beautiful the first few times. The second thing that really this I think is probably the, the biggest thing that I saw in this this going up and almost giving up is you had a moment where you reviewed it. It wasn't, I'm sure you had moments before that, which was, uh, I'm never going to get there. I'm not good enough. You know, I, I'm, I, my compare and despair was right all along, but you just sat down and let a little tiny bit of your logical brain review what's going on here. And I think that has a lot to do with like, I'll hear students, they'll, they'll have an italki lesson and it's the worst italki lesson of their life. You know, they burped in the middle of a conversation. They never want to be seen again. They were in a cold sweat. They felt like an infant. The teacher was, you know, impatient of just the absolute worst you could absolutely have. And they, okay, I'm done. What I recommend is people do just what you did, which was, okay, what happened here? Well, number one, um, my kids were in the other room and I couldn't hear the teacher. So I need to get earbuds. Number two, I was distracted and I didn't sleep well the night before. So I need to make sure I get a good night's sleep beforehand. Does this make sense to you? This like that mask metaphor is, you know, you needed more oxygen and you couldn't get it. And your coach didn't even know to tell you to uncover your mouth. You had to find it within yourself. What's this one next step that I can take? Uh, absolutely. That's the thinking about it logically is stepping outside of yourself and realizing that if, there have been many times in my language learning that I've, I have felt like I'm not making progress and I'm doing really much worse today than I've ever done before. And realistically, it has come down to like stepping outside myself and realizing, do you know what? I didn't sleep well the night before, or I ate a really heavy meal and that's kind of bringing all the blood from my brain to my stomach and all of these things that you don't necessarily immediately think about. And especially with something like language learning, we imagine the problem is very simply, I'm not smart enough or I'm not using the right material. And there are so many other reasons that maybe you've had a challenging day that are outside of all of that. And sometimes you accept that, you know, maybe today isn't my day and I'm, I need to take it up again tomorrow. You don't necessarily have to. I had to solve that problem in that moment. You don't necessarily have to solve that problem immediately. Maybe taking a step back and giving yourself time to, to really, um, you know, for your subconscious to process it a little bit, maybe the solution will come to you. And there have been so many times in my life I've realized when I'm not doing as well as I could, it is because of something really uh, like not touch, something very tangential 
to everything else I've been considering. And uh, that definitely works with the, the, the mask metaphor for sure. Absolutely. I also think that taking polls is a good idea. So when I'm struggling with something, I take a poll. I don't just call, I'm just going to do what Benny Lewis says to do because, you know, he knows everything. Well, there's a lot of differences between you and I. So some of your methods are not going to work and some of them are. And so what I recommend to the listener that's listening now, when you hit a roadblock, take a poll with other language learners, go on your social media, find your group that you're friends with and ask them. I am in absolute abject fear every time I take a italki lesson. I never want to have another one. What do you do? I see this, uh, the successful challenge, like the super successful challengers that come into the fluent influence challenge. They, they do this. They'll send me a direct message. I don't know what to do. And I will answer them with my answer. And then I will say, ask Shannon, the head coach, ask, put it in the questions channel. Let's see what other people say, because there are tons of repeat challengers there. There are tons of people that are walking right alongside them, struggling and have found, they just happen to know the next step. Oh, well, maybe what you need to do is this. Maybe you need to try a different teacher. This is the teacher that I like. And you just take those little pieces. So it's not just, you have to figure it out yourself. In that moment you had to, but you also had a coach. You had your guide and your guide said, if you lay down now, you're going to die. So you need to have some, a little bit of inside internal dialogue and a little bit of outside. And what's most important is it's okay to have all these feelings. I'm not good enough. I'm not going to make it. I'm, you know, I'm not the language learner that everyone else is. I might as well give up. You give that space and give it voice and then allow yourself to have just 51, no, 50, 0.00009% of you say, well, I'm going to try one more thing and see how it goes. I'm going to get around this corner, you know, because what I see is people for, I mean, the, the, the first peak, the base camp is having a conversation is getting a teacher or a language exchange partner for language learners, because we like to hide in the, I'm going to listen to CDs or I'm going to, I'm going to learn the alphabet or I'm going to learn a hundred words. I'll get to talking you know, when I have more and I say, and I mean, I'm just a disciple of that method, which is just speak, just see what happens. Let it be difficult. Let it be ugly. Let it be. Um, and then go from there and review and, and experiment and experimenting is that idea of like imperfection is okay. So thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Was there anything else you wanted to disclose before we, we end this wonderful episode? Uh, yeah, I would just like to repeat that I have a huge debt to, to, I owe a lot to the group that supported me and got me there. And if anybody listening would like to do their own safari and their own potential hike up Kilimanjaro, then my friend Scott Brills, who runs Pomoja Safari, um, he's the one you want to reach out to. And he took good care of me. And there are a lot of things. And one, like whenever you're doing a challenge, you want to make sure as few hurdles are going to be in your way as possible because there's going to be plenty. That's something we try to do with the Fluent Three Months Challenge. We try to remove as many of those hurdles as possible. When I was doing this hike, I had a lot working against me. I did not want to also have to deal with really uncomfortable beds in in my tent and bad food and like um, impatient people who were hiking with me. Uh, Any one of those things would have pushed me over the edge to give up. And fortunately, none of that was working against me because I picked the right team to go with. So I obviously have my preference for people who want to do this particular 
um, like endeavor in their life. And then, of course, with language learning, we always say that's what the challenge aims to do. We aim to be your team and to take away a lot of these uh, major setbacks, even though there still will be setbacks, there still will be challenges. Uh, if you're doing it with the right group of encouraging people, you can get around a lot of the biggest ones. And regardless of what people are doing, if they're learning a language or if they're trying to start a business or something like this, if you have the right group of people to encourage you, then, you know, it's okay if you're not the smartest person in the room. It's okay in my case that I was definitely by far the least in shape person doing this physical endeavor. Um, as long as you have the right group of people you're doing with, then they will bring you up. They, they will be what you can aspire to become and they will help you to become that way because people are fundamentally good and they want to help see others succeed. You know, a lot, there are things that are, are purely competition in life. When a group of people are learning a language together and when a group of people are hiking a mountain together, then the goal is not I'm first, you're all losers. It's let's do this together. And when you have that community spirit, it makes such a difference. Well put, Benny. Thank you. All right. So people can, of course, check out the show notes for links to anything that uh, I was talking about today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And uh, if you uh, like this, make sure to get, leave us a review on your favorite um, podcast listening platform. And uh, otherwise, until the next time, happy language learning. Happy language learning. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you found this episode valuable and want to help us out, please leave a review at languagehacking.com forward slash review. The Language Hacking Podcast is presented by Benny Lewis and Shannon Kennedy and produced by David Sobel, with special thanks to the Fluent in Three Months team. The theme music was written and performed by Shannon Kennedy. Find the show notes at languagehacking.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening and happy language learning.